hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. All the single people, all the single people, all the single people, all the single people. Put your hands up because yes, fire is for you or financial independence retiring early. Many have commented in the Queer Money Facebook group that it seems that fire is only for married folks. So is fire for single people? Well, the short answer is yes. And the long answer is you're listening to Queer Money Podcast episode 299. And on today's show, we're interviewing Jeff Underwood, also known as Homo Money. Jeff is a retired vet who found himself struggling financially after the 2008 housing crisis. Jeff, though, stuck to his strategy for financial independence. He stuck to his goals, and now he is almost ready to retire early. Oh, and yes, guess what? Jeff is single. Not that we're saying he's in the dating pool, but Jeff actually suggests that maybe being single may have helped him reach financial independence or this retiring early faster or easier. So if you want to fire, but you don't have somebody to fire with, or you simply want to fire alone, stick around for today's show. You're going to love it. Plus, Jeff is hilarious and he brings great fun to personal finance. Remember, we make the Queer Money Podcast for you. So please post your money questions or your gripes in the Queer Money Facebook group. We may answer them in an upcoming episode. Now on with the show. <laughs> There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Gainbridge sponsors the best, including the Indiana Pacers, Indiana Fever, Indiana 500, and the Queer Money Podcast. That's because Gainbridge believes dedication is an essential component of success in every community. Visit Gainbridge.life today. So welcome, Jeff, to the Queer Money Show. We're excited to have you. Thank you for coming. Great to be here. Thanks, guys, for having me. Of course. Uh, the reason why we're, for many reasons, we're excited to have you. One, because you're so eclectic and what you're doing on social media is so much fun to watch. It's enjoyable to see more LGBTQ people in this space. And I think you've added a levity to the conversation that I don't think has been brought to the table just yet. And so I think that's Wait, awesome. Eclectic? Me? <laughs> Who's eclectic? Exactly, right? <laughs> for, those, for those of you who are just listening, uh, Jeff just flashed his brass knuckles or gold knuckles, which say homo money on them, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But go check out the YouTube video if you want to see that. Yeah, for sure. But we're also excited to have you on because we've been covering LGBTQ people firing more recently because we want to make sure that 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 more and more LGBTQ people are aware that that's an option for them. But one of the questions we got is that it seems that most LGBTQ people who do fire tend to be in a partnership. I mean, predominantly seems to be either lesbian couples or gay couples. And so someone asked in the Queer Money Facebook group, like, can you, is it even possible to fire if you're, if you're single and LGBTQ and you're an example that you are. So that's why we're excited to dive into your story. Yeah. You know, I think that it can be very easy for anybody to find an excuse for why they can't achieve financial independence. My full-time job is a federal government employee. And one of the things that I've done is a little side collateral duty is to be a facilitator for the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University at work. Right and so I have heard countless government employees 
And these are some of the few people who still have a government pension. And it's like 1% per year that they work of their salary, where like somebody could easily live off of that. And yet these people, I still hear them saying like, I don't have enough saved in my 401k. How am I going to retire? I don't know what I'm going to do. Like everybody thinks they're screwed. And they always say like, oh, well, you're single. It's got to be easier for you because you're single. You don't have kids and all those things that go with it. And now here we hear the LGBT community saying, oh, well, it's easier for you because you're a couple. So I think that there's there's pros and cons to both sides. And so, yeah, I'm happy to get into that today. I I love that you brought up that idea of no excuses. It was kind of funny today. Literally, John and I were in line at the drive-thru to get a hamburger. We rarely do this, but we had some errands to run today. So we ran through the drive-thru to grab a hamburger. And the car in front of us, that was their license plate. It was, I'm not going to remember it right now, but I think it was N-O-Q-X-E-S something to that effect and no the, the well, basically it was saying no excuses and really isn't that i think that's kind of the the crux of it all that every single person no matter where your perspective is can come up with an excuse as to why they they are or are not doing something right and i think that that's just a product of who you're surrounding yourself with what are the movies you're listening to? What's the music? What's the the radio shows that you're listening to? And right. so if somebody's listening to a podcast like yours, I think they're going to be naturally more empowerment minded. And so uh, I think that that should be a, a wake up call for people that if you feel like your situation is hopeless to achieve FI, well, maybe it's just the media outlets that you're surrounding yourself with and the people that you're surrounding yourself with, because obviously there's an echo chamber happening there that's just reinforcing this limiting belief. But if you're surrounded by people who do understand that it is possible, then I think that you wouldn't feel like that is the only way that you're doomed for failure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what you bring up is a great, I think, topic that we should maybe cover on a future episode, because I think <laughs> there's a lot of layers to peel back there with everything he just said. But let's dive into your story here. Um, and I think what's great is that your story starts out super relatable. I mean, I, David and I can certainly identify with your story ourselves. And 10 or so years ago, you were $10,000 in credit card debt. Is that is that true? And can you kind of explain, elaborate on that a little bit, please? Yes. Uh, So before I became a uh, homo money gay superhero with a rainbow flag on my back, um, I was just- And the sunglasses. And and rainbow sunglasses. Check out the YouTube video. (laughs) I was $10,000 in credit card debt and I was unemployed. I had uh, gotten out of the, I was honorably discharged from the Navy. And I just always assumed like, okay, I always work hard. I was always, you know, straight A student. I I never just kind of settled for bare minimum. And that, you know, when I get out of the military, things are going to work themselves out. And this just happened to be the end of 2007, beginning of 2008, the great recession was just starting. And so it's like all these, these cards were stacked against me. And so I really took it personally, like, you know, I feel like a failure. I, of my three siblings, I always felt like the person who, you know, left the nest, left Illinois to go out to California, went to film school, got a scholarship, uh, was always straight A student, was was kind of on the path to be like the valedictorian before I went to a a magnet school. And it was like, uh, you know, then when all of this happened, I just felt like, I, I just feel like so embarrassed that I don't even have enough money to buy a plane ticket to fly home for the holidays. 
and I'm, I'm like not having enough money to buy my dog, like enough dog food to give her full portions. I'm giving her half portions and I'm seeing her like get skinnier and her ribs are showing. And so, um, yeah, it was a really, really hard time because I just figured, okay, it's 2008. I've got my freedom of being out of the military and now I'm sure I'm going to find a good job. I'm going to make just as much or more as what I was making as a naval officer. And it didn't happen. Yeah. And so then I was forced to just try to make ends meet with my own freelance video production company. And that was tough because any small business, the first thing that they're going to cut is their advertising and their marketing budget. Right. And here I'm trying to promote this idea of like, oh, you should have videos made for your social media, which was still a pretty new thing. And YouTube was still a pretty new thing. And so, yeah, I barely kept my head above water. I think I made like between 10 and $12,000 one year. And the wow. only thing that like helped me get through one of those years was that I had a house and a condo that I had bought while I was still in the Navy. I, I wasn't making any income. So I just had to default on the mortgages. The first month that I didn't have a renter, um, that a renter moved out and there was like a one month gap before the next one could move in. I defaulted and it was like, all right, this house of cards just fell. And then I was living in one of my properties uh, rent free because I defaulted on the mortgage and I was waiting for all of that paperwork. Uh, luckily, I was able to do a short sale instead of a foreclosure, but you know, not having any kind of mortgage payment or housing payment for a year was one of the only ways that I could get by with how little money I was making. So, yeah. so I definitely know what it's like to struggle and to feel like, everything is kind of like against you. And, and I was like, how did I get in this position? Because like, I've always like been top of my class. I've always worked hard. I've always tried to do extra. I'll have like, I've, I'll have like my main full-time job and I'll, I'll work a side job too, to try to make a little extra. And so I'm always comfortable. I'm never lacking. Yeah. And, and so it really like messed with my head because I felt like, how does anybody get hired? Because it just seemed like it was this, like uh, this cool kids club and like a boys club of like, you know, the people who have jobs and the people who don't want jobs. And it was like, how do I break through this? So I was very lucky that the first uh, government job that I had ever applied for, I got, and it was, I think partially because they were looking for somebody well-rounded who didn't just do video production, but did like graphic design, web design. And that's what I was always pushing myself to be more competitive as a freelancer. And so, yeah, I got that job with the federal government in 2010. And so as soon as I got that, it was like, I still had that muscle memory of how much it sucks to be house poor and to barely be able to scrape by and be living month to month. And, uh, and so I think that was just like a rebuilding from scratch. And it was like, whatever happens, I'm going to make sure I never put myself in that position ever again. And so I think that we'll kind of get into that a little bit more, but that's uh, the, in a nutshell, what had happened. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think what's, what's very poignant about your story is it sounds like from what you said anyway, was that I think I would be sort of indignant about my situation uh, that if I was in your shoes, because you were doing all the right things, right? You got the good grades, you were you know, getting all the A's, you pursued your passion like everybody says to do. You'd left, right? You took the chance and went out to California and then you decided to serve your country. So you're checking all the boxes of doing everything that the all-American boy is supposed to be doing. So why isn't the financial freedom and independence available to me? I think I'd be a little bit pissed myself. <laughs> Yeah, I really thought that 
you know, that whole idea of like taking care of the veterans that there was just going to be companies lined up to hire me as a, as a honorably discharged veteran. And my film school, I, I guess I'll just say it, USC film school, they advertise themselves like the Trojan family. And we're going to, we take care of our own when we uh, went on a tour, my mom and I of the campus, they were like, oh yeah, we like make sure like people get hired with a great job after they graduate. And I felt like I did not get very much help with that either. So I was like, yeah. So I was like, I am on my own. If I'm going to do this, I have to do it on my own. Yeah. So that, that brings up a good point. I think it's interesting that you went from the place of somewhat level of comfortability to having nothing which does take people down, can take people down a negative path that is really hard for them to pull out of. But then on, on top of that, being a, a, a queer person and, and the mindset that a lot of queer folks have of maybe this is what I deserve. Um, I don't deserve anything better than this. H- how did you, what was it that made you think that this isn't just the way life is supposed to be for me? How can I pull myself out of this? How do you reframe and say, I do deserve something better? And maybe how would you say that to young queer kids today who are stuck in that position of maybe feeling like they are financially in a really bad place and they don't know if they'll ever get better? Right. And I think that goes back to uh, what we were saying about like a victim mindset and be very careful about who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with, who is going to create the reality of what's possible. And I was lucky enough that my stepdad was very entrepreneurial. And I, I, I blogged about this in a post called Who's Your Daddy? Uh, because, you know, Robert Kiyosaki has the, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I realized that it was my stepdad who embodied like all of the traits that I have today, where he was the chief of police. And so he worked his way up the ladder with that. And he always did extra with his job, you know, working night shifts and taking on extra responsibilities, kind of achieve that. But he didn't stop there. He also had a side business. He had a snack business with vending machines. And so then he had those all over town. And then he also had rental property. There was a duplex in front of our house where we grew up. And so then that was, you know, extra rental income. So I think that that unconsciously was like planted in in my brain that like, okay, if you work hard and if you're willing to do more than just bare minimum, like you're going to be okay. And so that was like my, my money blueprint. I think the book secrets of the millionaire mind says it's all about like, what is your money blueprint and kind of changing your money blueprint. And so I think to kids out there who feel like it's, it's hopeless is we in the LGBT community, we are very comfortable with the idea of we have our biological family and we have our chosen family. And I would say, if you feel like you don't have those positive influences in your biological family, then we have the freedom to create our chosen family. And that can be seeking out a group like Choose FI, finding a local Choose FI group in your city, could be going online and having you know that kind of virtual camaraderie like you guys have on your private Facebook group. And um, it could be that you have different podcasts that you follow like yours, where when you're walking around and you've got the earbuds in, like you are constantly having these positive reaffirming messages and you are hearing from people who have achieved millionaire status and beyond. They are on the path to FI. And I think that we really do have the power to reprogram our mind 
if we didn't already have those positive influences as a kid. Awesome. Yeah, that's Thank awesome. You. I think, you know, the money blueprint that you just talked about is what David and I call a lot your money story. We've talked about, you know, you have to manage your money story. Most of us have money stories that we need to overcome from childhood and you know, maybe the beginning of our adulthood, but we have to take the steps and do the work to be able to overcome those money stories to, re- to, to rewrite them, um, which yeah. I think is, is a corollary to the money blueprint. Yes. So you mentioned the idea of uh, a fire or financial independence. How did you discover this? What was uh, where? Did, where did you find that, and how did you get into it? So I was kind of late to the game, late to the party. I first watched the PBS Frontline documentary, The Retirement Gamble, mm-hmm. and I think that came out in like 2013. And I just watched that on a whim, just because I don't know. I think I I've always been interested in documentaries. And so that first kind of got me feeling like, oh, I can actually learn more about personal finance and I don't have to have somebody else that I'm paying a commission to, to handle my money for me. And then I think fast forward a couple of years later, my agency brought on the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University program to help employees get their finances in order. Then I helped, I signed up as a facilitator for that. And then it was probably around 2015 that a friend of mine at work said, hey, have you heard about this whole fire movement thing? And I was like, no, I have not. And so (laughs) it's like, I Googled it and I was like, mind blown. These are my people. These are, yeah, this is my tribe. (laughs) And like the things that I always felt like Dave Ramsey was like preaching to a certain audience that's going to be like addicted to credit cards and they're not going to be able to be trusted with certain things. Like I felt like there's a better way, there's a more sophisticated, nuanced way to kind of take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And the people in the fire community have those engineering minds where they are figuring out how to life hack this stuff. And so to read about it and to see how much personality people have when they talk about money, that it's not boring. Um, it really got me hooked. And so, yeah, I've, I've been a fan ever since. And talking about money is the kind of thing that uh, m- with my circle of friends, normally I feel like, all right, Jeff, like, let's change the subject. Like, that's kind of boring. We don't want to talk about it, or maybe it's too personal. So like, I think I always had this, like this, this hunger, like, okay, like, maybe I can finally talk about money. If I have a blog, (laughs) then like I can have this like microphone to finally get out of my system. So I think that's, and and just being somebody who works in multimedia, I think that I naturally am always looking for like creative ways and analogies to kind of explain things in different ways so that it can be a little bit more uh, palatable. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I think the work that you're doing is wonderful. And David and I have we have our our, our gay friends who we have normal conversations with, and we, then we have our money <laughs> friends, and who we have money conversations with. And it's great that 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 group of money friends is starting to become a little bit more rainbow flavored. Right. We have <laughs> nice. the Venn diagram circles are starting to overlap a little bit more, right? <laughs> so which is, is refreshing. It makes it much more enjoyable. So if you don't mind sharing, how close are you to fire? And if, specifically, do you mind sharing what your your goal, your fire number is? Yeah, yeah, I'm totally uh, transparent with all of that. I, I feel like if I'm going to come out of the closet, you know, at work and everything, I should come out of the closet financially. Yep. So, um, you know, kind of if lead by example for people who are trying to figure this stuff out. So, my net worth as of this recording, it's November, it's about seven hundred fifty thousand, and that is divided about half halfway between real estate, 
I've got one paid off condo that's on Airbnb. And then my primary residence is uh, also a condo downtown San Diego that I have a little bit of equity in about 15% equity. And then the other half is uh, mostly 401k, but I do have a Roth IRA and HSA and a brokerage account, um, Acorns account. I love Acorns. And yeah, so that's how that's divided up in terms of like my FI number. So I consider myself at coast FI right now, which is like, I've already put in the work to kind of build that exponential curve that just starts so slow. And then after you have enough saved up, then it kind of takes a life of its own. And whether you're contributing to it or not, like it's going to grow and it's going to hit that number where you can comfortably retire at age 50 plus. And so I consider myself Coast FI right now. My expenses are about five to $6,000 a month. And so like, let's say... $5,000 a month is 60,000 a year, which with the 4% rule, then that's like a million and a half, I think. If I didn't have a government job with a pension and yada, 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 then I would say, well, I guess one and a half million is going to be the soonest that I would retire with my net worth. But that's assuming that I like move out of my condo and maybe I become like a digital nomad kind of traveling the world with a geo arbitrage. And then I'm renting out my primary residence. So it's it's a complicated thing to say, like, what's the soonest I would retire? But actually, like, that would not be my goal to retire at Lean Fire. And I think that's why Susie Orman has a problem with the fire community, because right. she yeah. thinks she thinks everybody wants to retire at like the soonest possible time. And then they're just going to live on ramen noodles and kind of keep <laughs> living at home. And some ramen and is good, though. A, <laughs> Some ramen is good. That's true. And then if you have like a health emergency, well, oh, well, that wasn't planned for because I was just planning for the bare minimum. Right. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit, tools to manage debt and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Heard a rumor about annuities? Cut out the noise by visiting Queer Money podcast sponsor Gainbridge at gainbridge.life to learn more. My goal is normally government employees could retire at 57, but we have the rule of 55. And so if you have 30 years of combined federal service, you can retire at 55. I have my six years with the Navy. So I've already bought back that time. So I will be able to retire at 55. That is my number. And so I guess uh, I haven't really looked too closely at like, to me, it's not even worth the mental exercise of like, well, how soon could I retire? Because I don't plan on retiring before 55, because that's like, we get like, it'll be about 3000 a month with like the pension. And then they have a social security supplement that they, that they pay out. It's like a 75% of social security from when you retire until 62. So like, I'll be making the same amount at 55 as I am working. And so I always tell people in the government, like, if you keep working beyond your minimum retirement age, like you're basically working for free because you'll be making the same amount between the pension and social security supplement. So that's a good point. So for me, like, I would say if I keep on this trajectory, my 401k alone is going to hit the one and a half million, according to my like financial statement on uh, my EPP. And so one thing that you could say is like, okay, well, if I just worked until 55, then I have the one and a half million to live off of. 
And then I have to just kind of wait until I'm 59 and a half to start withdrawing that. That's one philosophy. My thing is, well, I don't plan on touching that until 59 and a half, until like much later than 59 and a half, because I have the pension to live off of. I have social security supplement. I have one rental property that's paid off. I will probably have another rental property before I retire that will have extra rental income. So like my goal is I would be lean fire if I didn't have all those different sources of income, but because I do, then I'll have fat fire and I don't want to sacrifice all of that. So my plan is retire at 55. Oh, and I, I'm a disabled vet. So oh. 80% disabled vet. So then that has a disability compensation that's tax-free. I blogged about that too, for any veterans out there who haven't taken advantage of their benefits. So yeah, that's like around 1700 a month tax-free. So yeah, the, the plan is retire at 55 and that'll be fat fire just because I'm maxing everything out. Right. So you've said some things I want to highlight for our, our listeners is the first is that, you know, you've explained, you talked about your coast fire. Now there's the, you know, there's obviously lean fire that's available to you and everyone else. Uh, then there's also fat fire and David and I covered the different types of fire on episode 285 of the Career Money Podcast. So, uh, you know, you can kind of choose what kind of financial independence, early retirement that you want. It doesn't necessarily have to be what everybody else is living. Figure out what's most accessible and most ideal for you and then start to architect your life accordingly. But then I, what I also think is great is that you've mentioned your real estate investments a couple of times. And I think we've talked about several for several years now on this podcast, the need to diversify income streams. And especially if you want to reach financial independence, that not only do you want to invest in the stock market, but you want to invest in real estate and ideally have your own side business. And it sounds like you're kind of using real estate both ways, right? You've got your Airbnb, that's kind of a side business, but it's also real estate investing. So you've got your appreciation from that and whatever other real estate investing you're doing, you're getting uh, your monthly income from that. So hopefully for, for you, our listeners, when you're watching or, or you're seeing this, you're thinking, this is how Jeff has architected his life to reach his goal. You can replicate this verbatim, or you can take what, what you think would work for you and, and plug and play whatever is going to help you get to where you want to go. But there are myriad options that are available to all of us. And I think um, it's exciting to see that you're able to, you're doing exactly what a lot of people in the fire community in general are doing, and now more and more LGBTQ people are doing. The important thing here is is options, right? Right. You want to architect your life where you have options. And so many people live a life of comfortability by getting into a job or a career. And that's the only thing they think about and do for a long time. And if they aren't figuring out how to spend less than they make, then they really have no options because they just keep on working, right? So the more you can grow that gap between what you make and what you spend, giving you the option to then invest in all of these different options like Jeff has. That's really the important thing and is the key to building a life of financial independence rather than a life of financial dependence on either an employer or the government when it comes to social security. Yeah. And I think that's a good segue into, well, what are the advantages of being single versus a couple? If you want to go into that now, that was our next question. Right. Actually. Yeah. Wow. We're in Let's talk about the elephant it. in the room. Is this possible? Right. Can you and, fire and, as a single? Just single dropping person? that in here. This is a question that was literally asked in the Queer Money Facebook group. Somebody said, you know, it must be easy for all of you who are couples to do this, right? And we kind of mentioned a little bit at the outset. So, Jeff, 
how have you done this as a single person as a response to the person who thinks it's so easy for everybody else? <laughs> yeah. So after I lost everything in 2008, it wasn't until 2010 that I finally got some stability again with a full-time job. And, and then it was like, I never wanted to be house poor again. I had a huge piece of humble pie that I didn't need to own a house that I lived in. I was fine renting. And so I just did everything different when I restarted in 2010. And so I had a roommate, actually a three bedroom with two roommates. And so uh, my rent was $600 a month. And it pretty much stayed around that for, I would say, the first eight years or so um, until the rent started inching up. And so that was huge. And however, you know, for like coworkers or the general public, they may look at me and say, what is a mid to late thirties man doing with roommates? You're a failure because you still have roommates and you're a grown ass man. All right. Well, but I don't have lifestyle inflation and I'm willing to have delayed gratification to just put in those time, put in those years, because it was, uh, I think, J.D. Roth, who said, if you're willing to have a savings rate of 50 percent or more for like 10 to 15 years, you can achieve FI. It's just it's in the numbers. And it just so happened that I was renting a place. I was renting at this three bedroom apartment for 10 years. And that's when it was like, all right, now I feel like I'm comfortable enough. I can treat myself to my own place. And so, so the strength of being single, I would say is that when you're single, you have the ability to house hack. And a lot of people like on bigger pockets will say like, yeah, before I was in a relationship, I was basically living like a starving student lifestyle where I house hacked. I had all these roommates. I bought a house, but I lived in one of the bedrooms or I lived in like the living room and created a false wall so that I could rent out the other bedrooms and make ends meet. When you are in a couple, it's very unlikely that there's somebody else who's going to be willing to go through that with you. I don't know how you guys feel. Are you saying it's not fun to live with gay couples? Are we hard to live with? <laughs> or am I hard to live with? <laughs> I just think any couple, it's going to be very hard for both people to be motivated about, we're going to just suck it up and live in this, this tiny cramped bedroom and house hack together. Normally, I think that's the kind of thing that as a single person, you have the luxury to do is that, you know, just get that out of the way before you're in a relationship, take advantage of those years of being single and house hack the F out of your situation right. because our biggest expense is normally housing. And so that's number one. If you're in a relationship, then you have the advantage of like, okay, if you can live off of one of those spouses' salaries and have all of your, your needs taken care of, well, then just have the second salary be, well, that's what we're going to save. And then you automatically have the 50% savings rate right there. And so that's kind of, I'd say the advantage of like being single versus being a couple. And I think that the challenge is that when you're in a couple, if your partner is not already aligned with your goals of being, you know, a little bit scrappy and right. trying to have the delayed gratification, you guys seem to be like, like you're on the same page, but if your partner is not on that same page, it's going to be very hard, I think, to change that paradigm midway through the relationship. Whereas if you're a single person and you're house hacking and you've got roommates, all right, well, if your roommates have a poverty mindset 
and they're kind of dragging you down energetically and they're not kind of supporting this this mindset that you want to have that you don't have to be broke your whole life well you have the ability to get new roommates it's very easy to change that up so all the single people out there just recognize you have way more power than you realize you can change things up I'm the type of person when I'm in a relationship. <laughs> we're all doing this now. We're all singing. All, we're all of us over here are singing. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, so all <laughs> you single ladies out there. Listen to what Jeff is saying here, because this is some wisdom about the choices that you make. Right. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, Sorry. Once you're in a relationship, for me, at least, like I want to just stick it out. I want to make that crap work. So I'm probably not going to abandon ship to the bitter end. And uh, I think that. You guys are going to ask me about that later so we can save my relationship history until we get to that point but yeah that's that's what you have as an advantage if you're single or as a couple okay. so i'll i'll admit it is next to impossible for david to get another roommate <laughs> if he gets another roommate you're going to see us on uh, 48 hours first <laughs> 48 hours of forensic files forensic or files. csi but or something like that anecdotally have I'll you guys say, had roommates we we actually did have for a period of time we did have a roommate we were in a super conducive situation a colleague that we were working with at a financial services firm we were working at he only needed to be in Denver two weeks out of the month. The other two weeks, he wanted to be okay. in Seattle with his two other other two partners. Um, so he was flying back and forth for work, and he didn't want to renting a, a full a place month to month uh, in Denver just didn't make sense. So, and we needed some extra income, and so we had uh, we gave a room to him two months uh, two weeks out of the month. That's kind of a hard situation Smart. to stumble upon. Um, so we completely lucked out. But I will acknowledge that. And this is anecdotal for sure, but it does seem that that's the biggest challenge that LGBTQ couples have is that they can't both get on the same financial page. I think probably a reoccurring email or direct message that we get, it's definitely not the most reoccurring email that we get, but more often than not, when we get an email from one person who wants to reach Phi, it's the challenge is I can't get my partner on the same page and, and how, do I, how do I do that? And so fortunately for David and me, we found ourselves in the same financial situation at the same time and we wanted to make improvements starting at the same time so that benefited us but yeah if, i mean that's a, that's a challenge that a lot of couples it seems to have for the couples out there i would say if you're the money nerd of the part of the relationship and you want to get your partner on board just frame it in a way that it's not going to be like budgeting you know the bad word the bad b word but it's like how are we going to reallocate our money so that we can afford the things that we really want and I think that it would probably take, you know, watch a documentary like Playing With Fire, go to a conference like uh, they've got the FinCon or Economy, but that's going to be a big investment to actually go to a conference or to go to some kind of event. But if you could just get your partner to watch a documentary with you, and then you have an honest conversation and say, I want us to be able to afford all the stuff that we want what's most important to you to be able to afford like i want you to be able to have all the things that you want and i want to be able to for us to afford the things that are important to me too so can we work together to make sure that you can get all the things that are important to you and i can to me too because then you're coming at it of like well we're not just living a life of deprivation but we're finding a way to have better financial hygiene so that we can trim the fat and find where do we have waste every month in our spending so that we can just reallocate all of that money to the things that really matter to us. I love that. I've never heard financial hygiene before. Yeah, right. That's, that's a new one. <laughs>
Check out my blog post, Financial Hygiene 101. I walk through my exact budget um, in a video and I show people my spreadsheet of how I do it. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So you use this, you flashed it earlier with your with your gold knuckles there, HOMO money. Let's talk about what is this? What is HOMO money? What does that stand for? And what is the acronym? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, my first thought for a URL was I was channeling RuPaul and the, the domain was going to be get that money, honey.com. <laughs> and then I did a, a search on USPTO for patents and trademarks. And I was like, oh, Money Honey by Rachel Richards. She's already got that sassy style and she's already got Money Honey trademark. I'm so glad you did that homework because so few LGBTQ people want to do that first step. <laughs> We've had several people come into the first into the personal finance space as LGBT people wanting to use our names and haven't done their homework and we've unfortunately had to say sorry guys but you're infringing on our, 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 our the first step as an entrepreneur name. is to see if anybody already has that name right so <laughs> sorry go, go ahead, ahead. <laughs> so then i pitched the idea to one of my friends of homo money because i was like you know how about momoney.com and he was like no that's kind of passe but i was like all right well how about homomoney.com homomoney.com was taken but homo.money was available and so then I was just kind of like the gears were spinning and I was like, you know, on RuPaul's Drag Race, she's all about taking a negative like charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent. If you've heard her say that, you know, for that negative, you know, slur. So taking an, a negative and then let's flip it around and let's kind of give it some power and then let's take the power back. So I hate when people say things like uh, that's so gay or no homo, kind of like it's like it's an insult to be gay or to say that somebody's a homo. Right. So like my thing is, well, I'm going to make a positive out of that. Right. And that positive in the spirit of RuPaul is homo is an acronym for hustle, own, money, opulence. Oh, and I like it. Nice. So those first two words are verbs, hustle and own. So every blog post I write, I tag it with one of those four categories because people are at all different levels of their FI journey. So like at the very beginning, you're at the hustle stage. You're just trying to save more money, make more money. Then you're going a little bit further. Now you want to own and own is about like having owning a financial mindset where you don't have to hire somebody else who's probably a whole life insurance salesman in sheep's clothing to <laughs> basically do your financial planning for Poor you. insurance salespeople. <laughs> we all need it. <laughs> uh, who's throwing shade? I guess I got the sunglasses on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so then the, the next, the last two letters are nouns because in my mind, it's like after you hit Coast FI, like I'm at now, well, then your money's working for you. So then you've got money and opulence where money is the M in HOMO is money. And that's like, well, what are those little financial tweaks where you can just kind of choose to put your money in this account versus this other account? And that is going to be like the 1% better that over 30 years is going to make a world of difference. And then O is opulence. So then that's like, well, after you've hit retirement, now you're, you're living the good life. What are those different things you're going to think of about such as, are you going to live in a commune of close friends? Like, what is that, that retirement lifestyle going to look like? And so I think it's important to start like thinking about those things early on. But if somebody's already at that level, when maybe they'll just jump right to the archive and go right to the O for opulence blog posts. Right. And so, yeah, that's where it all came from. Nice. That's, all, that's awesome. I, you know, what it, what it does is it sort of provides a prescription of steps for people who are just getting started. You know, what is the first thing I should do? Then what is the second thing I should focus on? And I think that's what kind of what it provides people. And I think that, that's awesome. And to me, I like the, to me, the own 
kind of related to sort of owning the situation that the circumstances that you're at, right? Where we can't all control the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but we can determine how we're going to respond to that, right? And so take ownership of the situation. I might not like it, but nobody else is going to change it but me. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, if people can adopt that mindset, then they can get to that the money and the opulence phase much more quickly than if they continue, as we said earlier, are stuck in the victim mode. Right. I also like the own because I think so many people, especially gay men in our community who are accustomed to making financial ha- bad financial habits a way of life are waiting for mm-hmm. their white knight in shining armor to ride in on the white horse or their Disney prince to come in, right? Well, there's no fucking Disney princess, prince, <laughs> princess, royal person, whoever it is that's going to come and save you. You have to own it yourself, right? You do this yourself. You bring it. Preach. You yeah, you have to do it yourself. Yeah, it's it, that's why I love that you use the word own it, right? It's your choice. And I love that you dropped the F-bomb because I've been trying to censor myself and I was like, shit, I could have been saying all those. This, uh, this, is, a, this is a grown-up show. Yeah, so we already have okay the E ratings. <laughs> we maybe should have mentioned that earlier. But. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think this has been a wonderful conversation. We could dive into so many different subtopics on this particular, on this topic. But in the meanwhile, where can our audience find more from you? Where are you on social media? Where are you on the internet? Yeah, so I'm on the interwebs as uh, at homo underscore money on most social media platforms, or you could just go to homo.money and they're all linked in the footer of my uh, website. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We, we appreciate you sharing your story. I'm super inspired to hear that not only are more LGBTQ people joining the FIRE movement, but there's more of a diversity of LGBTQ people joining the FIRE movement. And yes, single people who are LGBTQ can FIRE. Thank you for sharing that. Preach. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Jeff. We hope that your platform continues to grow and grow and grow. Thank you, our listeners, for listening to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. Here is your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. If you're (laughs) single or if no one that we've interviewed so far about retirement on the Queer Money Podcast looks or sounds like you, know that financial independence and retiring early is also for you. We'll continue to bring more diverse guests who have fired or are firing onto the show. But meanwhile, know that fire is for you and the tips, tools, and tricks that we share on Queer Money to reach financial independence will also help you get there too. Thank you. And we'll talk with you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.